Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. We are to join ourselves of those who like faith, those who embrace the faith once delivered to the saints. And to do that, we need to separate from those who don't, those who resist the truth, those of corrupt minds, those who play to self and pleasure and money. What fellowship is like with darkness? Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And today, Philip DeCourcy brings us to 2 Timothy to teach us what evil company looks like and how to be safeguarded from this deception. It's the conclusion of a message titled, Danger Ahead. If you missed the first two parts of this lesson, you can find them over on our website at ktt.org or on the KTT app or podcast. Now, here's Pastor Philip. Well, as we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the Apostle Paul is saying, danger, Timothy, danger. Because there lies ahead of Timothy a time that indeed will pose as a threat to the welfare of the church and the purity of the gospel. There was danger ahead for young Timothy, the church, and the gospel. And the striking thing is, as we'll see in the passage we're about to expound together, the danger does not come from censorship outside the church, but compromise inside the church. The threat to the gospel and the church and Timothy's ministry is empty religion, liberal theology that will act like a cancer in the body of Christ. There is a form of godliness that will infect the church, but it will deny the very power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit behind that gospel. Having ended his last train of thought on an optimistic note that perhaps God will bring those who oppose the gospel to repentance, at the end of chapter 2 we read that, Paul now proceeds to add a dose of realism for Timothy's sake. He wants Timothy to know what he's about to face, to prepare himself for difficult days. He alerts him to that fact, that the prevailing mood inside and outside the church will be one of opposition to the gospel. If you scroll down to verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That will be the prevailing mood, and Timothy must be alert and alive to that fact. The context in which you will preach the Word of God will be one where you'll face resistance and refusal. We're going to see in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 to 12 that there will be a great falling away, and then that man of sin will be revealed. And the ministry of the Antichrist in the last days will be marked by signs and lying wonders. In the last days, religious deception and delusion will mark the tribulation period leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul sets Timothy's ministry into that kind of context. Technically speaking, 
The last days stretch from the beginning of Jesus' first coming to the beginning of his second coming. I'll give you two verses that will reinforce that. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In former times, God spoke in various manner through the prophets and men of God, but in what? These last days he has spoken by his Son. When Jesus was speaking, we were in the last days. 1 John 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last time, and many antichrists are to be found in the world. The last days will intensify, nevertheless, like birth pains do before a delivery. So men will indeed go from worse to worse, being deceived and deceiving. So the times are the last days. And then he goes on to describe it apostasy. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. For men will be lovers of money, for men will be lovers of pleasure rather than of God. The issue is what men will do. It is the actions and the attitudes of men that will bring about this era of peril and savagery on the earth and towards the church. And the people in question here, interestingly, are of a religious flavor. That's who's being described here. Religious imposters. This is apostasy inside the church. What Paul's describing here in these 19 characteristics are the false teachers who will make up the unregenerate church, and they will spread their false teaching like a cancer. In these 19 traits, we have men who profess godliness, but their lives belie a lack of love for God. They are lovers of themselves. They are lovers of money. They are lovers of pleasure. They are not lovers of God, but they're in the ministry. They're in the church. You'll find them in clerical robes. They'll carry Bibles. They'll sing hymns. But their life will belie the lie that they love God. And you'll see it in their conduct. And this catalog of corrupting conduct is bracketed by the thought that they love themselves rather than God. Remember, these men are inside the church. Hedonistic, materialistic, narcissist leaders who will lead people astray. They will have a form of godliness, verse 5. That's why this isn't society at large. This is the world inside the church. This is apostasy. And Timothy's been alerted to that fact. These men are theological creeps, ecclesial charlatans. A religious veneer deceptively covers their lives. Their lives are a sham, and their religion is a shell. It's all show. It's all pantomime. These men were practitioners of dead religion. They knew nothing of the saving power of the gospel, the unction of the Holy Spirit, the synergy and energy of a holy life. And these are the kind of teachers that will mark the last days. In fact, you can read about them in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. When we get there, preach the word, Timothy, be in season and out of season in your readiness to preach it, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers that will turn their ears away from the truth. That's the teachers we read about in chapter 3. 
who tickle the ear of a congregation rather than smite the conscience with the sense of sin and pierce the heart with the sense of God. No, people who love themselves and love money and love pleasure, they want preachers who will talk health and wealth, tickle the ear, massage the ego. That's what's going to happen as the last days unfold, apostasy in the church, and we need to be alert to that. It will be a religion divorced from morality, verses 1 to 4. It will be a religion divorced from pneumatology and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, verse 5. And it will be a religion divorced from theology, verse 8, as they resist the truth. Isn't that amazing? A minister in the church whose life is divorced from morality, pneumatology, and theology. In a sermon on formality, the great J.C. Ryle said this, Formal religion never took any man to heaven. Like cheap metal, it will not stand the fire. Continuing in your present state, you're in imminent danger of being lost forever. I earnestly beseech you this day to be aware of your danger, to open your eyes and repent. Whether you go to a fancy big church or to a plain small church in the country, if you are a Christian name only and possess a form of godliness without the power, awake and repent. Awake above all if you're an evangelical formalist. There is no devil, said the quaint Puritan, like a white devil. There is no formalism so dangerous as evangelical formalism. In fact, I was interested, and we'll move on here and try and wrap up the last two thoughts here. There's a British company, actually, that's developed a product called Spray-On Mud. I mean, that just doesn't sound right. But it's pitched towards city dwellers and those who have expensive 4 by 4 vehicles who maybe can't get out of town. They've been so busy all week. Well, what they can do on a, a Saturday night is go out and spray their vehicle with spray-on mud. <laughs> this is mud that has indeed been filtered. All the rocks and the stones and the debris has been taken out so it doesn't scratch your paint. But it looks like real mud, and your friends will think you got out Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, did a bit of off-roading. It's crazy, isn't it? And the seals are going well. That's nuts but it points to something within each of us that we value what we look like on the outside more than we do on the inside. That's what causes us to pad our resumes, embellish our stories, and live the lie of our love for Jesus Christ when we're prayerless and empty, worldly. Let's be careful that we have a reputation we're alive, but we're dead. Again, we're given a profile of the kind of man that will corrupt the church in the last days. And the converts are people they have deceived and preyed upon in verses 6 through 7. For of this sort are those who creep. These are the theological creeps who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These are men who are corrupt minds resisting the truth. Paul describes these false teachers as theological creeps who worm their way into people's homes and hearts with the intention of making them prisoners to their wants, their words, and their will. Notice the behavior of these apostates. It's deceptive, cultish, enslaving, and manipulative. Look at the target audience of these apostates, gullible and weak women Guilt-ridden women, desperate women, undiscerning persons. That's what we've got going on here, and I'm not going to spend time to exposit that or expose that 
other than it's quite simple here. This is the modus operandi of the cultist and the religious apostate and the health and wealth preacher, preying on the gullible, the undiscerning, the needy, making them prisoners to their theology of riches and peace and tranquility. But it is no answer to their guilt and the smiting of their conscience. And they become prisoners to this. Just a footnote, by the way. Did you notice that truth makes a man free, but error makes a man a prisoner? It's interesting. Paul uses a word here that means prisoner of war. And we're describing a battle for the truth here. These men resist the truth. Timothy's to study the truth and be a workman that's not ashamed. He's to preach it because it brings freedom. But you know what? Error brings bondage. And the point is this, freedom is not found in exercising your will for your pleasure, but in doing God's will for His pleasure. Freedom's not a matter of autonomy, it's a matter of obedience. The prodigal son got all the freedom he wanted in the far country, but when it was all said and done, he would have settled for servitude in his father's house where there was joy and intimacy and fulfillment. And when he gets back and he repents, that's what he finds, freedom and forgiveness and peace that can never be found in the far country because freedom is not a matter of autonomy. It's a matter of obedience. It's not you doing your will for your pleasure. It's doing God's will for his pleasure. If we were created for his pleasure and our greatest pleasure is to please him. I have a friend back in Northern Ireland, Jim Smith, who famously preached a series of sermons on the prodigal son. And he was rather long-winded, like a lot of Irish preachers I know. And it went on for weeks. In fact, he spoke several weeks on the far country. So much so that one of his deacons at the monthly meeting said, Pastor, it's time to bring the boy home. (laughs) And you know what? Isn't it time for you to come home and find the freedom that alone is found in Jesus Christ? For the truth will set you free. Error will make a prisoner of you. Here's the last thought as we close. The avoidance. We scroll back up to verse 5. We've seen the, the alert. Verse 1, we have seen the apostasy in verses 2 through 9. Their conduct, their creed, their captives. But here's the avoidance. Verse 5, these men will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power, and from such people turn away. Paul issues a standing order here. What is a believer's response in the face of this apostasy? It's one of separation. There is to be no acquiescence. There is to be avoidance. That's the consistent chime, isn't it, of the pastoral epistles in chapter 6 of the first letter. In verse 5, Paul says this, useless wranglings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Same we read in verse 20, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babbler and those who contradict the truth. Professing it, they stray from it. You get into chapter 2 of our letter, verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they increase to more ungodliness. Verse 19, 
Everyone that names the name of Christ departs from iniquity, verses 21 to 23. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, verse 23. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. There's a theme of avoidance here. There is a doctrine of separation, both personal and ecclesiastical. Turn away is in the middle voice here in the Greek, which means that you're to make yourself turn away. You're to grab yourself by the collar and drag yourself from the presence of false teachers and teaching. The implication would be if you're in a church where the gospel's not preached and false teaching reigns, you should leave it. You should disassociate yourself from ministries that are marked by the conduct and the creed and the conversion stories that we read here. You should avoid reading books that contain heresy. You should avoid giving money to ministries that compromise the gospel. And you're to make your judgment based on their conduct and their creed and their converts. There's no basis for fellowship with false teachers in the same church. What fellowship is light with darkness? I think we've forgot that a theology of separation is also a part of a theology of Christian oneness. We are to join ourselves of those who like faith, those who embrace the faith once delivered to the saints. And to do that, we need to separate from those who don't, those who resist the truth, those of corrupt minds, those who draw disciples after themselves, those who play to self and pleasure and money. In this context, I'm sure for Timothy, it means finding out who those false teachers are and excommunicating them from the body because they're a cancer. As mentioned earlier in chapter 2, and cancers have to be cut out. Listen, guys, as we close, in a day of squishy ecumenicalism, we need to have a theological nose that can detect the foul odor of false teaching and doctrinal compromise. The enemy is within our gates. There are false teachers within evangelicalism. There are the Pied Pipers of a false peace. They resist the truth. They oppose the gospel. They call us to join others that indeed have no gospel. We are to guard the deposit. And guarding means repelling and expelling falsehood. That's something we must do and be willing to do. I'm thankful for our pastors. I think they've got that down. They understand that. And maybe that came out a year or two ago in a story related to one of our pastors, Dave Doyle, who confronted a man who'd been visiting our church for some weeks. We deemed him disruptive and false. And one Sunday morning, Dave met him in the car lot. He had one foot out of the car, and Dave said to him, you and the devil, get back into the car and get off our property. Now, to the average evangelical, that seems so unloving, so lacking in Christ-likeness. No, you're wrong. It's fundamentally right. It's what Jesus said, beware of false teachers. Paul describes them and tells us to avoid them and where necessary, expel them for the good health and witness of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time and the word danger ahead. Lord, help us to be alert to the apostasy that will infect the church. 
theological compromise, worldliness, materialism, a pandering to self, a new kind of cross, not the old cross where you die, but a new kind of cross where you prosper. Oh God, we fear the day when there's more of the world in the church than there is of the church in the world. And that day has come. May we not be party to it. May we repent of our own formalism. May we repent of our own resistance to the truth. May we repent of loving self and pleasure and money rather than God so that we indeed might be a pure church and a powerful church, not having a form of godliness that denies the power, but having godliness underwritten by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, God makes separatists of us, not mean-spirited, not dividing over the minutia, but when the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake, when the authority of God's Word is on the line, when the gospel is being corrupted, may we stand up and walk out or expel from our midst those who promote such things. Help us to avoid such men as described in 2 Timothy 3. Help us to avoid being such men as described in 2 Timothy 3. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Indeed, amen. Pastor Philip has more to share in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to Know the Truth and Philip DeCourcy in the conclusion of an encouraging lesson titled Danger Ahead. If you joined us late today, be sure to catch up on this lesson by downloading the KTT app or podcast. Just search your favorite app store or podcast platform for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy or listen online at ktt.org. Well, we learned today that light has no fellowship with darkness. And as Christians, we need to separate from those who don't have a like faith and join ourselves with those who do. And that's why the ministry of Know the Truth exists. We're here to be a voice of truth in a world full of deception. Philip, isn't that right? That's right, Wayne. Our goal is to share the gospel with a world in need of truth and to do so with boldness, clarity, and conviction. Men and women all over the world are in desperate need, whether they know it or not, of the clear and compelling truth of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which we are not ashamed. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth centered on Him, and that truth will make you free. And so it's our duty as Christians to share the message of the gospel in its full life-changing power. And that's what KTT is all about. That's our mission. That's our message. And we need people's support. So if you're listening today, I want to invite you to support this ministry. You can support the ministry in prayer. You can invite your, your friends to engage this ministry on radio stations or media platforms. But the best way you can help us is by investing financially in this ministry by giving to know the truth, becoming a truth ambassador. That will make an eternal difference. So play your part alongside of us. Um, join us in this great mission. Wayne, would you give our listeners more details? Yes, I sure will. You can become a truth ambassador by calling us at 888-644-8811 or by visiting us online at ktt.org. 
As a thank you for your partnership, you'll receive a welcome package with books by Pastor Philip and other exclusive benefits like the quarterly Accord newsletter designed specifically for our Truth Ambassadors. You'll also receive Living by God's Promises, a book by Joel R. Beakey and James A. LaBelle. Their book provides insight into God's promises for believers in all stages of life, equipping them to live with confidence, assurance, and energy daily. Finally, you'll receive a custom Know the Truth shirt as a special thank you to regularly remind you that you are a faithful member of the Know the Truth team. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for a brand new message titled, Dare to be Different. We're learning about the powerful effect of relationships and the importance of righteous mentorship. That'll be Tuesday. I know the truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.